morning, Rip. It's good to see you all out here, even through the snow. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Hezekiah Trevino. I am one of the pastoral residents here at Riv. If this is your first time or uh, you just haven't noticed yet, uh, we have been in a series here at Riv called um, The Sticky Gospel. And uh, we're walking through the book of Mark. Um, if, if you've been following the last couple weeks, and you'll notice in the weeks to come uh, that Mark loves to give us lots of stories, right, in, in sometimes random orders. Uh, and he, gives, he, he fails to give us all the details, uh, but he gives us just enough details where he gets his message across very precisely. Um, and so we'll find that this is no different here in Mark chapter 2. Uh, can we get a shout out to the, uh, to the young man I went up here? And, he, he talks better than me. Uh, uh, so if you could flip, swipe, scroll your way to Mark chapter 2, verse number 23. And if you forgot your Bible or you just didn't have enough storage on your phone, or you just intentionally didn't download the Bible app, uh, it's all right, no judgment. We're going to have it on the screen just for you, all right? Uh, and when you get there, just smack your Bible. Yeah, some of you guys are like, dang, I didn't bring my Bible. Uh, just give high five to Jesus when, you <laughs> when it's on the screen. Yeah. Uh, uh, so let's, let's read this, Mark chapter 2, 23. Uh, it says, on the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples... Uh, began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? He said to them, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house uh, 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 of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests, and also gave some to his companions. Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And off the bat, we are encountered with Jesus and his disciples walking through these grain fields. And if, if you're unfamiliar with the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath day was just a day of rest. And it was to reflect uh, God resting on the seventh day uh, of creation. And this command was to be a blessing, right? It's supposed to be a good thing. Uh, while, while the other nations were out fighting battles and, and, and working, God's people were just to rest. And God was going to take care of them. And uh, that's it. It's pretty simple. Like, not do anything, right? Just rest. No work. And some of you guys are like, I like that. I like that law. Uh, so, but that's the uh, Sabbath in a nutshell. Um, it, this command from God was pretty simple, right? And, and, you know, he, he, God didn't give a lot of details on what actually uh, uh, constituted as work on the Sabbath. And uh, because this command was straight from God, uh, it, it, the Jewish people would have taken this very seriously. And, and uh, but because there was no clear-cut instructions from God on what constituted as work, you know, us as people, we tend to complicate things, right? And so what, what happened is that uh, some of the Pharisees and, and religious leaders, they started to make their own interpretations of what constituted as work on the Sabbath day. 
And uh, the religious leader, uh, the religious leaders, they started to create an oral law, right? Of like, all right, this is what, what's going to be uh, constituting as work on the Sabbath. And so what happened was that it, it became pretty stringent. I, uh, in this oral law, there was 39 different categories or classifications of work that were prohibited on the Sabbath day. This, this wasn't in the Bible. This is what they came up with. And uh, it got so detailed. Get this, it got so detailed that they even had a, 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 a law on how far you could walk before it became work. Anybody have any guesses at how far they could walk? A mile? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they did not have miles back then. So it was 2,000 cubits. That's a Western uh, American thing. I mean, it, it only American thing, right? Um, but it was 2,000 cubits, which would have been 0.47 of a mile, right? I know this because Google, right? Uh, <laughs> thanks, Google. Make me sound smart. Uh, but one of the forbidden uh, categories on the Sabbath uh, was harvesting. In, in this story, we'll see that is, is, is exactly what the Pharisees accused Jesus' disciples of. And as we read on, we see that Jesus and his disciples were in the grain field. And some Pharisees said to Jesus, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now to us, we might look at this and think like, who cares? Like, bro, mind your own business, buddy. You know, heavy emphasis on the buddy, buddy. Um, but back then, like, to be accused of breaking Torah, to, to, of breaking God's law, it would have been a capital offense. So this was not a light accusation. This is, this is uh, worthy of death. And so, um, and it was coming from the religious leaders who were capable of implementing that punishment. And now some of you guys are like, that's kind of ironic that they were just so happened to be there, right? Just pretty convenient, like they were just there and seeing the disciples picking uh, grain. And what, what we'll find out is that uh, they were just trying to catch Jesus in the wrong and they couldn't find anything. So let's, let's read on uh, Mark 2.24. It says, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And in typical Jesus fashion, he responds with a question, or he responds to a, a question with a question. And I, I personally believe uh, that Jesus is one of the greatest clapback kings of all time. <laughs> I mean, like if you read the, the, some of these verses that he's having these conversations, I mean, I could only imagine... Uh, that everybody's like, oh my God. Um, because like right here, Jesus says, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? Greatest battle rapper of all time. <laughs> I can only imagine all the disciples were like, oh my, you know, like, oh, you hear what he said? Have you never read? This was ironic because the disciples would have known that the Pharisees memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They would have, uh, from a young age, they would have heard these stories of David thousands of times and read them. And, and so when Jesus said, have you never read? He, he knew that they knew. 
Um, and so, uh, of course, Jesus knew <laughs> that they read it. But he states this story anyways next. Uh, he says, he, he brings up this story, and I'm not going to read it, uh, which is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And uh, I'm not going to read that either. So that's your homework assignment to go read that after. So you can be like, oh, okay. Um, but basically in this story, uh, David was on the run from King Saul, uh, who was trying to kill him. And while on the run, he and his men uh, stopped at this temple. Uh, they were in need. They were hungry. And so they went in there. And there was this certain bread, uh, consecrated bread, uh, specifically for God, and uh, also called the bread of presence, is what he calls it in this story. And uh, it was to sit there on the Sabbath day for a whole week, and the next week, only the, uh, the priest could eat that bread, only the priest. But here in the story, David and his men were in need, and so the priest allowed them to eat this consecrated bread. And so here Jesus is comparing him and his disciples to David and his men in the Old Testament. And then the next verse, uh, Mark 2.27, we see that Jesus ends not with a question, but a statement. He doesn't even allow the Pharisees time to respond, right? Because he's just that good. Um, and it, he knew that they already knew uh, the answer to the question. And he ends with, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying that he is Lord. He's not just saying he's Lord of the Sabbath, but he's also saying and implying that he is Lord, period. And uh, as we'll see, uh, as we go along in the book of Mark, We'll notice that although sometimes his stories are pretty random, uh, there are times where he would put stories back to back uh, to further his point. And we'll see that this is no different here uh, because it goes right into chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. And he says, uh, we know that this is a connecting story because in verse 2, he, he says, it says they were watching him closely. Um, and we could only assume that we would know who they are from reading just a couple verses before, which we'll find out is the Pharisees. And uh, so we can only assume that the same Pharisees that were in the grain fields are now in the synagogue. Um, it says, Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a shriveled hand. In order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the shriveled hand, Stand before us. So Jesus entered the synagogue. There's this guy with a withered hand. And we don't know much about this withered hand. We, again, Mark doesn't give us a whole lot of details. And I think for good reason. Um, because he wants us to focus on the main point of the story. Um, but we, we see that the Pharisees were watching Jesus. Just like in the grain fields, trying to catch him slip. So they're like, let's see if he heals this guy. Because that guy probably wouldn't even been allowed in the synagogue. But they're probably like, oh, let's let him come and see, see what Jesus will do. And yet here, Jesus seems to know exactly what is on their minds. Because he immediately asked the man to stand before them. 
and not just stand before them, like stand in front of everybody. In this, on center stage, Jesus says, come here. And I, I believe this was very intentional on Jesus's part. Uh, Jesus was not trying to hide anything here. It's, 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 it's pretty clear that he, he wasn't uh, afraid to heal this man in front of everybody. He could have healed him uh, outside of the synagogue after he could have said the word and he would have got healed at 9 p.m. that night. But he intentionally wanted everybody to see this miracle. All while addressing was on the Pharisees' minds, because he could read your mind. Asking them this question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? And they were silenced. Again, no response. Now, back in the day, uh, rhetoric or like how you talk, debating, they were the uh, most famous people back then, right? It wasn't uh, athletes and all of that. It was people who could talk. And so to be silenced, whoo, that was a low blow. So Jesus silenced them, and it would have hurt their uh, pride a little bit. Um, But we see that after they are silenced, it says that Jesus looked around at them, with anger, this is one of the only clear uh, times in Scripture where anger is actually agreed upon, like for the translation, um, this righteous anger that Jesus had. And then Jesus tells the man to stretch out his hand, and it was restored. This is also the only time in Scripture where Jesus heals somebody without being prompted. Normally somebody comes to him, right? The story, you know, they're, they're climbing, you know, crawling towards him. They're going through the roof as we heard last week. You know, there's always some kind of engagement. But here is the only time that Jesus heals somebody without even being asked. So it just shows how significant this miracle is. Uh, and we can't forget the ending, right? Uh, it says that the Pharisees went out, plot. Uh, to kill uh, with the Herodians, how, did, how they w- might kill Jesus, right? And it's like the ending of a, like a, 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 sick, or like a, a crazy drama TV show. Like, you know, like, oh man, what's going to happen next? And you guys will find out next week here at Riff. Can I, you know, no, like what? Now, I, I feel like when people read this story, uh, they tend to put a lot of emphasis on the Sabbath, or uh, which is good, like the Sabbath is, is an important concept, uh, or the focus is on the major healing that takes place. And I think that's good. But when we read these stories together, uh, we start to see Mark's overarching theme here. And that is that Jesus has all authority. He's the focal point of this story and other stories and all the stories in the Bible, Jesus is Lord, period. And that's easy enough, right? Like that's, yeah, that makes sense. You've heard that before. But it's not an easy concept to grab sometimes. Now I'm a PK. I grew up in church. I've heard a lot of stories in the Bible. And uh, what I notice is that a lot of times in these stories with the Pharisees, people tend to like forget about the Pharisees. And it makes sense because, like, the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? They're mean. They suck. Um, (laughs) uh, But oftentimes, uh, I feel like we can learn from the Pharisees' actions in some of these 
stories. Now hear me out, I'm in psychology, I'm in the psychology field studying psychology in college right now, and so I like to figure out why people do things, right? And uh, even though the Pharisees, you know, plotted to kill Jesus, and they were mean, and uh, they got him crucified, and uh, they were ignorant to a lot of things, I have to be honest that the Pharisees actually had good intentions, Obviously not their intentions to kill Jesus, but their intentions to begin with were actually not bad intentions. You guys ever like watched a, a movie with a villain in it and you're like, this guy makes, like Thanos, like this guy makes, he makes a convincing argument, right? And so we find that here, uh, a lot of people don't understand why the Pharisees do what they, or did what they did. And, and to understand, we have to know a little bit of history. We, uh, we have to think about their life and their history. The Jewish people were overtaken by numerous nations, you know, Syria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and now Rome. And, and uh, there's a lot of trauma that took place during the, uh, when they were in captivity. And, and they kind of like inherited this. Like this is their you know, their forefathers and, you know, generations down. And they've been learning about from a young age how they had messed up time and time again, which caused God to send in these nations to overtake them. And, uh, and so they're reaping the consequences. And it's not really their fault. It's the people that came before them. And so uh, we find that while they're under Roman rule, you know, they got to pay a bunch of taxes. They got to, uh, you know, they can't be in their own land. It's not their land because Rome is in charge, and they're worshiping in a temple that is subpar to the one that Solomon built, but was destroyed by these nations. And now we're, they're finally at a point where they're just wanting to actually change the mistakes their ancestors made and truly live for God. And their whole driving motivation was to fulfill God's commands. That's it. That's, that's not a bad thing. And while they're trying to live this life of faithfulness to God's commands, here comes this man named Jesus who's comparing himself to David. And David would have been that guy, right? Like this is the, the uh, famous person in their faith. And here Jesus is comparing himself to him and not just comparing himself, but saying like, I'm better than this guy. I'm above this guy. And then on top of that, the, here, here they, they, these laws that they put in place and took a lot of time out to, uh, to, to make sure that they're following right. And here comes Jesus' disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. I think any logical, empathetic person would understand and, and, and be upset in that situation. Their intentions were actually not bad intentions. And before you write them off too quickly, I think we see the same exact thing in the church today among Christians, just in a different way. Sometimes we have well-meaning intentions to serve God. We, we get saved and we stop hanging out uh, uh, at those places, you know, places you're not supposed to be. We stop hanging out with those people, people that bad influences. We uh, uh, stop doing those bad things, stuff we're, we're not supposed to be doing. And what happens is that in the midst of our willingness and passion to serve God and be set apart, we start to become slaves to the law, 
to the commands, just like the Pharisees in the story. Then the laws and, and, and commands that were put in place, that God put in place for us, start to have authority over us, over Jesus. We start to get caught up in the details, right? I, gotta, I have to pray this many times a day. I, I, I have to fast this many times a week. I, I, I need to go to church every Sunday and I got to be on time. I can't be late. And what happens is we quickly miss the pur- purpose of why we even do any of those things in the first place. We start to give authority to these things and actions instead of to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of you guys are thinking, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not saying that it's, it's wrong to, to stay away from certain places or certain people. That's a given. I'm also not saying that it, it, it's, it isn't important to make time for prayer or for fasting or to read your word. Uh, uh, you should be doing that. What I'm saying and what I believe Jesus is trying to get across to these Pharisees in the stories is that we were not made for these things. These things were made for us. And none of it should ever be above Jesus. Because he has the ultimate authority. Not these laws and commands. See, by being passionate and intentional on serving God, we, uh, I've seen it over and over again my, life, uh, my whole life. I've seen it. I grew up in church. And, and we, can see, we can sometimes miss the point of it all. Again, we, we, we sometimes just miss the point that these laws and commands were put in place to help us, to benefit us. And even with our good intentions, we start to lose sight of the gift of grace. Grace for others and grace for ourselves. And this is when we start to get into this cycle of, of guilt and bitterness and shame. Sometimes in our desire and in good intentions to please God, we, we can sometimes forget that grace is freely given. And we can make our desire for righteousness an idol in our lives. So we start cutting people off, right? We start treating them less than, like, like somehow uh, uh, they can infect us with their unrighteousness. We think somehow a person or place can get in the place of our righteousness, even though the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags already. So we start to judge people when they come to church high, right? We, 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 uh, we sometimes, you know, somebody comes in uh, Sunday morning and they smell like alcohol, slightly hungover. We, we have the audacity to think they shouldn't be here. We can forget to have grace for others, but also we can forget to have grace for ourselves. So when we fall into sin, when we fall into sin, because everybody's going to sin. Or when we make a mistake, we beat ourselves up about it. We get caught in this cycle of trying to prove our worth to God, even though he already sees us as righteous through Christ. On our own, it's like filthy rags, but through the lens of Christ, it is perfect. And I know this message sounds repetitive. You probably hear it every week at church, but you might be thinking like, yeah, I know there's grace for me. 
But what I found is, like I said, I grew up in church. This is a message that we have to keep pounding. Jesus has to keep pounding in our heads because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to believe the lies of the enemy over God's authority. And you see, the, uh, the, the, the crazy and most astounding part of this story with Jesus' encounter with these Pharisees is that although they may have had good intentions, they missed the fact that Jesus, their Savior, the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting centuries for, was right in front of their face. They've seen him heal people. They knew he healed this man, this man with a withered hand right in front of them. And yet they refused to accept it. And I believe that this has probably been like, I know this has been me for sure. And probably uh, many of us uh, reading whole scriptures about grace and how God views us and just not being able to believe it. Jesus can be right in front of our face and we not even see it or believe it. You see, Jesus' questions to the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? He wasn't asking for their opinion on if it was right for him to heal this man. He was exposing what was in their hearts. They were silent because Jesus was doing a good thing. And while he was doing a good thing, uh, uh, healing this man, in their heart, they were, uh, they were plotting to kill him. And he knew that. He wasn't asking for their opinion on the matter. And I think that Jesus was angry at this moment because he cared. It says he was angry at the hardness of their hearts. When we, when we hear this phrase, hardness of their hearts, we can sometimes think like, oh, they just, they're just cold-hearted. But back then, uh, the heart was associated with your mind more closely associated with your mind. So uh, what the, the context here, uh, it would have meant that the hardness of the heart really spoke to their lack of understanding. A hardness of mind that made one calloused to any spiritual truth. Because you'll see that it wasn't that the Pharisees were incapable of accepting something totally contrary to the, to the way that they were living. Because they, we see at the end of the story, they, they plot with the Herodians. The Herodians were these uh, people who, who backed the Roman Empire and King Herod. So they would have hated these people because they would have had totally different beliefs than them. But yet they were willing to team up with these people rather than believe in the truth that Jesus was saying. And how often of us can fall into this today? I know I have time and time again where this lack of understanding or unwillingness uh, to let Jesus in. You see, I think we could get drawn to laws and, and commands because it makes us feel like we're in control. And we like being in control. The Pharisees most likely felt threatened because they have positions of authority. And here Jesus is questioning that. Laws and rules give us opportunity to prove we can do it ourselves. And we love that. Because we love being in control. To the Pharisees and sometimes to us, 
it can feel too good to be true, this, this message of grace, this message of Jesus being an authority. Like, what do you mean there's nothing I can do to earn this? You know, isn't that like America's culture? Like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Do it yourself. Grind it out. Work hard. Don't sleep. Wake up at 5 a.m. Let's work. And here, Jesus is giving a totally different message. He's saying, I'm in control. Just like the Sabbath, I'm in control. You have nothing to do with this. But it's so easy for the lies of the enemy to creep in and make us feel less than, uh, make us blind to this truth and harden our hearts towards Jesus and his truth. And it's been this way since the beginning, since Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. It was never about the rules and, 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 and laws that were put in place. It was about us choosing God over our willingness to, to, uh, uh, to have this desire of control. It was never about the, the, the rule. It was about us relinquish, relinquishing our, uh, uh, our grasp over having control. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, that I'm against laws and rules uh, or that I'm for sin. Uh, we see that Paul says in Romans, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? No. Shall we sin because we are not under uh, law but under grace no, but he says we have been set free from sin and become slaves of righteousness because of Christ, not because of us. So when we choose him, when we acknowledge that he has all authority, when we acknowledge that he is Lord of our life, of our salvation, it is through Christ and through Christ only that we have been set free. Because he is the ultimate authority. He has the final say. He, uh, it's something that we can't earn, and that's what makes it good news. That's why we get excited to tell somebody, invite them to church and hear this message. That's why it's good news. Because Jesus has the authority. It's not because of my own strength. It's not because of anything that I can do. It's not, it's not anything that I can earn. It's good news because Jesus is Lord, period. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, uh, for being the ultimate authority in our lives. Thank you for uh, this reminder again and again that you are the one in control. That no matter what I do, no matter uh, when I mess up, you are there with open arms to accept me uh, and, and to love me regardless. I thank you for being Lord. I thank you that you have shown us a way of how to, how to follow law, but also love people and to love ourselves. I thank you that you are truly Lord in our lives. I ask that, that as we go along this next week and in the weeks to come, that you just continue to uh, uh, just drive that into our hearts and in our minds, that you are in control. 
and that there's nothing that we can do to earn that. I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.